The scripture reading for today comes from Luke 1, verses 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their throne, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, let's pray for Danny. Um, Father, thank you so much for Danny, for his presence in our community, for the ways that you've gifted him, God, and thank you for the word that he's prepared for us this morning. Um, may your presence rest on him, just give him peace, and we just pray that we would be open to the word that you would be speaking to each of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Rebecca. Oh. Well, good morning. It has been a while. It has been a while. It's been a minute since I've been up here. So, well, I guess I was up here last week, but it's been a minute since I've been up here speaking. So uh, it's a different feeling. It's a different feeling. Uh, but I just want to start off by saying thank you once again uh, so, so much for all of your prayers uh, for me, uh, for Jenna, and for Kai. Uh, God has been good. I've received a lot of healing. Uh, I'm on the way. Uh, I'm still waiting for uh, one more surgery to go, so I'd appreciate your prayers for that. Uh, but yeah, God has been good, and so thank you so, so much uh, we are overwhelmed by all of the, the care and love um, that you all have extended to us. Uh, it is, uh, yeah, it's incredible. So thank you. Um, as we begin today, I'm going to invite you to join me in prayer. Living God, we pray that we would encounter you, Jesus, this morning in this message, that your mercy would fall fresh on us, and that we would see your presence and power in our life and in the history of the world. And so we pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So the current sermon series uh, that we're doing is Called to Be. And over these past few weeks, uh, we've been looking at Mary, the mother of Jesus, that Mary, and we're seeing how she models for us how to enter into God's redemptive work. How to enter into God's redemptive work, and particularly how to enter into God's redemptive work. This week, we're talking about history. And so our title for today is, We're Called to See God at Work in History. Big topic. It's hot. Um, so this morning, we're looking at Mary, and we're, we're going to see how she shows us that believing that God is active and present in the messiness of history and in our lives is an important part of our faith in Jesus. Let me say that again. Believing that God is active and present in the messiness of history and in our lives is an important part of our faith in Jesus. Or we're going to put it in another way, and there's going to be a slide, I think, for this. It means that to be a follower of Jesus means that we are to be people who look for and take seriously 
the living God's presence and action both in our lives and in the history of the world. That we take seriously the living God's presence and action both in our lives and in the history of the world. Now, Daryl Johnson has a quote. I think we have another slide for this. But Daryl Johnson once said this. Why do God's acts of mercy keep catching us by surprise? Could it be that after all, we really do not fear God? Could it be that we do not regularly stand in awe of God? Could it be that we simply do not take God seriously enough? That we do not take the presence and power of God in the drama of history seriously enough? And so this morning, I want to ask you to consider, I want to ask you to consider how God is present to Mary and how God has been present in your story and how God has been present in history. Our passage uh, is known as Mary's Song, which is also known as the Magnificat, as as Robin mentioned for us. And it's found in Luke 1. uh, And it's a text that comes from the same scene that Jenna preached on last week. So Jenna was preaching on Mary going to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And this text follows on from that. So uh, let me do a quick recap, though, on the historical context. We're all about history today. Okay, so Mary is a young, young woman, probably a teenager, She's the Jewish woman, so she's a minority group in the Roman Empire, and Rome at that time is the superpower. According to Western history, they've conquered all of the known world, and they rule with uh, ruthlessness. They tax people. And if you were to read the pages of history, you would think that Caesar is in control. How many Jewish people might have thought, God isn't in control right now because Rome and Caesar get to do whatever they want? There's probably an anxiety that they're living with. And if you read through the pages of history, this is a repeated pattern, right? That empires rise and they dominate other people groups. And they sometimes even use God as justification for their rule. And they rule ruthlessly and using their power and their greed. And they use violence to achieve whatever they want. As as Fleming Routledge correctly points out, I think there's a slide for this too. Sorry, I'm prompt and clear because I was late sending in my slides, so it's on me. So thank you, Claire. I appreciate it. Fleming Routledge points out this. She says, the history of the world has showed over and over again that it is incapable of rescuing itself from forces too strong for mere human nature. Let me unpack that a bit. She's essentially saying that humanity has shown that violence, greed, power, and lust are too powerful. We can't overcome these forces as humans. And it's in this moment, this reality that Mary is living in and that we're also living in, that Mary, though, receives this news that even though she's a virgin and not yet married, that she is pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit and that her cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant, even in her old age. And this news leads Mary to go visit her cousin and it's during this visit that she sings this song. And it's a song of praise as she reflects and marvels at what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. It's a song that echoes back to, to Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel, and it's one where we encounter, um, we encounter Mary's response to God's mercy and activity in her life. So let me draw your attention to just two movements today, just two movements in this song. The first movement is Mary's response of praise to God's activity in her life. We're going to read in verses 46 and 49. It says this, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, 
and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. After her encounter uh, with the angel, and then she goes and visits Elizabeth, we get this scene. And Mary is, is full of, of joy. It reminds me of sometimes when youth come back from camp. I don't know if, I, I went to Anvil Camp a few years ago, and we're coming back from camp, and we're getting off the boat. And it's like an invasion of youth as they come running off the boat, and all they can do is talk, 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 talk. And they're just talking the whole time about all the things that happened at camp. They're just talking about all the things that God has done at camp in their lives and how excited they are. I get that same sense here that Mary is that excited. She's full of joy. And what does that joy lead her to do? It leads her to sing. It leads her to sing. You know, and it's, it's incredible to think if we, if we can. Imagine a young woman, pregnant but not married. She's full of joy over what God's doing, even though... Once the baby's born, she's probably going to have to deal with questions about, he doesn't look like his dad. Yeah? I never thought about that until I had a son. I was like, wait a second. Jesus? I, I mean, I digress, but it's real. Anyway, this young woman, she embraces the situation, and she welcomes God working in her life, even though it's going to radically change her life. And she tells us a truth that we all need to hear. And it's a truth that we actually all need to say. God has done great things for me. God has done great things for me. This is the truth that Mary uh, tells us about, and she believes with all her heart. You know, last year, as many of you know, I was at St. Paul's right behind me here. I was up on the 10th floor. Uh, And when I got there, I thought I was going to be there. They told me a week. Uh, And I get to about 10 days in, and my condition's worsening, and I'm beginning to be like, What's going to happen? You know, what's life going to be like? Am I going to recover? What's, yeah, just so many questions. Uh, and in that, in one of those dark moments, um, I met a friend, and his name is Zach. And Zach was my hospital roommate up on the 10th floor. And Zach was from Abbotsford. He was, I think, in his late 50s. Um, and he's fighting an advanced stage colon cancer. And Zach says to me, Danny, can I pray for you? It's about, I think it was close to midnight. And I was like, cool, a little freaked out. I was like, I didn't know Zach, you know, like we didn't, hadn't had that talk, so I wasn't sure if he was a Christian or not or anything. So, but Zach had heard a few, enough people come to visit me that he was like, hey, I've heard about your faith, so let me pray for you. And so Zach prays for me. Um, I end up having surgery the next day. It saves my life, and it's amazing. Um, but that, the day after that, I'm in recovery, and I'm hanging out, and Zach's in there, and Zach gets a call from his wife. And it turns out that Zach's son had a planned heart surgery at Royal Columbian, and there was a mistake done in the surgery, and uh, he was, like, had massive internal bleeding. And so they call Zach, or his wife calls him and says, we need you to come to Royal Columbian. And I was sitting there, and I was like, no, 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 no. Let's say, this is a good moment, Zach. This is a good moment. We don't need that. And, but Zach turns to me, and he says, Danny, I'm thankful to God for what he has done in your life, I'm thankful for what God has done in my life, and I'm hopeful for my son, and I'm going to pray for him. And he says, God has done great things for me. God has done great things for me. 
That's my prayer for all of us, that we can say that. And I know if you were to go around this room and we were to ask one another, you each would have different stories about how God has done great things for you. Whether it's uh, the food you eat, a career, loving family, a job, a community to belong to, God has done great things for you. May we be like Zach and Mary. Because Zach and Mary are like the psalmist in Psalm 103 who says, I will praise the Lord. I won't forget anything he does for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my sicknesses. He saves my life from going down into the grave. His faithful and tender love makes me feel like a king. He satisfies me with the, with the good things I desire. Then I feel young and strong again, just like an eagle. I feel young and strong again, just like an eagle. You know, I never heard from Zach after that afternoon. He left to go to Royal Columbian, and I haven't heard from him ever since. But I'm hopeful that I can join with Zach in saying that God has done great things for him. I'm hopeful for that, and whether it's here or in heaven, uh, I look forward to hearing the end of that story. See, it's all a gift. And so being a follower of Jesus means that we recognize and praise God for the great things that he has done in your life, in the darkest valleys that you've walked through, or on the highest mountaintops that you've been to, or in the ordinary mundane moments of life and history. God is at work, and he is doing great things. Praise God. Praising God is part of our calling, friends. It's what we were made to do. And Mary models that for us in singing this song. And so that's the first movement for today. Mary rejoicing and praising God for all he's doing in her life. But you know, Mary's song doesn't end there. She continues in verses 50 and 55, where she makes a second movement, and she shares about seeing God's mercy and redemptive work in the history of the world and to Israel. She shares about how God has turned the world upside down. It's a great reversal, right? She shares in verses 51 to 53, you can read with me. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. These words speak to a new world reality where it's not going to be like it is right now. You know, it's written in the past tense. It's written as if Mary's saying, God's already done those things. But if you and I are living today, we're like, that's not reality. Not yet. But in God's kingdom, and in any time we see in Scripture that God promises something, it's as good as done. So it's already in the past. Even though we're not there yet, it's already been done. It's already been accomplished in Jesus. This is the great reversal. It's one where the rich will be brought low. The hungry are going to have food to eat. Slaves will be free and given their full human dignity. And it's a movement of God that the Israelites have already experienced in their history, right? Let's, look, let's remember the Exodus story. I'm sure Mary remembers it. Every year, the Jewish people at the Passover feast, they recall the Exodus story. But let's do a quick recap of it. Mary, the Israelites are forced to leave their home because they're starving, and they go to Egypt, and God provides for them there. But they stay there, and then they become enslaved, and they become slaves to the Egyptians. And God is silent. They're enslaved. Some of their sons are killed by Pharaoh because they're growing too numerous. You remember the story? 
and they cry out to God, and God hears their prayer, and he sends Moses to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is brought low. He loses his power, and God frees the Israelites and doesn't just free them. The Egyptians who were ruling over them give them gold for them to go back to their home with. Slaves receiving payment to return back to their homes? It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And Mary sees her story and sees the promises of this baby growing inside of her as a continuation. It's still part of the Exodus. It's still part of God's great deliverance to her and to her people. God wants to save them, and so he sends Jesus in the form of this baby to grow inside of her to then change history and save humanity. It's incredible. But that's, uh, can we say, it's Bible history? It's a long time ago. Some of you uh, may have heard me mention before that I majored in history at UNC Chapel Hill. Some people call it the southern part of heaven. A little, I'm a little biased. Jenna doesn't think it is, but I think it's the southern part of heaven. It's beautiful. Uh, Chapel Hill is just a, a beautiful place. Um, it was a beautiful season in my life, a really important season that was really uh, formative and shaping. Uh, while I was at Chapel Hill, though, I, I majored in history because I was just captivated in it. Uh, from a young age, I can remember being like elementary school in Angola. I'm sitting around the table with my Uncle Steve and my Uncle Sterling, and they would always talk history. They'd always talk about Winston Churchill, World War II, different operations and battles, and they like talking about um, post-independence movements in Africa. I know, it's very niche. You guys are like, what does that mean? <laughs> it's okay. We'll have coffee. We can talk more about it. No, but they talked about independence movements in sub-Saharan Africa in particular. And so I decided at Chapel Hill, I should take some courses on this because it kind of just fit. And these courses um, were fascinating. I really enjoyed them. But I found myself in a really unique place as I read these, these narratives of history and had these discussions because I couldn't hide from an internal tension that I felt inside of my own family history and the story of colonialism in these countries and trying to recognize God's activity. Let me explain that a bit. You see, my, on my mom's side, my great-grandparents went to what is now called Zambia in 1917. My great-grandpa was, did some Bible translation work and helped a people group there actually have their language written down for the, for the first time. And so my great-grandpa was in Zambia in 1917. My grandpa goes to Zambia to serve as a medical doctor, and he ends up serving in Zambia and Angola. And then my mom goes as a missionary in 1979. You guys are probably catching where this story is going. My mom goes to Angola in 1979 to be a missionary, and she serves as a public health nurse, and that's where she meets my dad. And then she ends up being a professor at a theological college. And so you could say that cross-cultural missions is a part of my family story. And I do believe that God has really used uh, these cross-cultural missionaries to play a critical role in, in my faith formation and in the formation of so many people. But the textbooks that I was reading at Chapel Hill kept pointing out that in their view, mission organizations and missionaries were too intimately connected and intertwined with colonial imperialism. There was no redeeming them. They were, merely, they were merely continuations of imperialism and in some cases, blatant history. Now, I did not know Hannah was going to be up here talking about going to Uruguay, which is awesome, Hannah. I love that. But that was, 
the two courses, I was taking these classes and I was hearing this one side and I had this other side listening to my family's story and they're sharing about what God has done both in their lives in serving and in the lives of other people. And it's a tension. It was a tension that I was sitting in. And I often felt like there was too much a focus on critiquing and pointing out abuses of power. Now let me say, I'm not saying that, that missionaries are, are perfect saints or um, that they didn't make mistakes or that there weren't clear injustices. No, there definitely were. But there were also clear moments of God's mercy and work being extended through these individuals. There are clear moments of sharing the good news of Jesus. And in fact, Jesus helped um, inspire people to pursue freedom and to pursue independence. Even in the civil rights movement in the U.S., you think that that equality comes from this understanding of Jesus. It's good news. Some cross-cultural missionaries were involved with helping with literacy and education or providing medical care to the least of these. These were just a few of the examples that I knew, and I know that there are many, many more. But in studying that, I realized that there's a, a complexity and challenge that Christians face as we look for the movement of God and the Holy Spirit in the world and throughout history. It's a real challenge that we all encounter, especially in a secular age that is guided by cynicism, skepticism, deconstruction, anxiety, and with little to no space for the transcendent. And sometimes our historical narratives are being rightly critiqued and being completely rewritten. But looking for God's activity can be overwhelming. So sometimes I kind of want to say, I see God's activity in the Bible, and then let me jump to my story. John Sang and I were talking about, as people living in our time, we don't like to think much more beyond our generation, maybe two generations, and then we're kind of like, let's not say anything. But, but following Jesus means that seeing God's mercy and work in history is actually part of our witness because it's something that we all participate in. As broken and as messed up people as we are, we get to participate in extending God's mercy to the world, just like Mary. And that's good news. It's good news. To be a follower of Jesus means that we are to be people who look for and take seriously the living God's presence and power, both in our lives and in the history of God's world. Let me say that again. To be a follower of Jesus means that we are to be people who look for and take seriously the living God's presence and power, both in our lives and in the history of God's world. Let's look for God's mercy. Let's look for God's redemptive activity in the world. As I've said, you know, I, I confess that I often lose sight of God's action in history. And I know so many people are still hungry. I know so many hungry people have gone hungry their whole lives, actually. I, I know that I can be prideful, that, addiction con that addictions continue to plague so many of us. I know that I can be greedy as I drive by homes for sale and think, I need tons more money. I know that economic systems are, are, can be un unjust, and it can feel like prideful rulers keep getting their way. And I know that history often tells us the tragic story of injustice is done in God's name. But instead of dwelling on my failures and the brokenness of the world, I want to be like Mary. 
I want to be like Mary and sing about the great things that God has done. I want you, all my friends, my neighbors, and the whole world to be like Mary and join God in demonstrating his mercy and grace to one another. So in closing, Mary's song fills me with hope that God is mindful of each of us, no matter how insignificant and broken we might feel. And that one day, that one day through Jesus, he will transform and feed all of us so that we are no longer hungry. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.